comes to be that time of the, what, month or two weeks or whatever, how often we do these, we go out to California, we talk to Michael Snyder, he's got a whole bunch of movies that he wants to tell you about, and uh, some of them he'll like and some of them he won't like, but overall, it's Michael Snyder. Hi, Michael. Hi, Alex, and uh, yeah, it's a new year, and January is, you know, generally... Not the best time of year for movies. Uh, I guess the studios and the distributors dump things that they didn't really believe in for the holiday season or the awards season. Uh, we get um, movies that have been on the shelf in some cases. We get things that are just, you know, obviously duds. Uh, but anyway, we're still going to plow forward. We have a few good things that have uh, dropped in the past couple weeks. Um, and uh, since it is January... I didn't expect much from an unheralded science fiction movie, but damned if ISS isn't a pretty solid thriller set in a claustrophobic environment, that of the International Space Station, yeah, thus ISS, uh, where detente in the form of a six-person crew, three Americans and three Russians, reigns over all the sextet are there to work together for scientific advancement until something uh, bad happens thousands of miles below them on the surface of the earth and the two ground control stations one for each country send orders to their citizens in orbit uh, ariana debose chris messina and john gallagher jr as the u.s contingent are probably the most recognizable actors but the uh, trio playing the ruskies acquit themselves admirable um, now, you may have a good idea where this is going, at least to some extent, but getting there is tense fun. Uh, the special effects in the expectedly tight confines of the space station, looking out the ISS window, and during any extravehicular activity are definitely up to snuff. And the direction by Gabriella Calperthwaite uh, enlivens Nick Schaefer's okay script. But you buy into ISS because of the cast and their commitment to the premise and the predicament that the characters face. I thought it was pretty cool. It's in theaters. And, of course, it's going to uh, play pretty well at home when it gets to streaming, which I expect will be uh, in short order. Uh, moving on, um, in, in, in no way, shape or form is this current movie of the 2017 musical comedy version of the terrifically funny Fresh and of the moment, 2014 comedy Mean Girls, as good as the original. It's probably not as good as seeing the musical live on Broadway when it debuted. I mean, there are some okay songs I, I did, and production I did, numbers. I did, I did see it on Broadway, actually. And and before we go any further, did you enjoy it? No. Okay. Uh, the, the songs are like, you know, passable. And yeah, the production you know, numbers... Yeah, well, that's... Pretty much what I saw. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but there's an enthusiastic cast here in the movie with a goodly portion of representation. And the writer of all versions of the project, except for a crappy made-for-TV 2011 movie, Mean Girls 2, which has nothing to do with any of the main characters of the 2004 movie, uh, is Tina Fey, who was inspired by a bestseller called Queen Bees and Wannabes about cliques and the pecking orders in high schools. Uh, and Tina does come up with a few new and amusing 2020s era quips here and there, some courtesy of the tech updates uh, since the early 2000s, as in, you know, there are TikTok jokes. 
but the best dialogue and setups are recycled uh, or refurbished from the proto-Mean Girls, the original, the Ur-Mean Girls. Anyway, so we've seen and heard much of this before, and it was a jolt and more laughs the first time around. Plus, as lively, energetic, and talented as the new cast is, Angori Rice as winsome new girl in school katie heron and renee rap as the school's reigning queen bee and mean girl click leader regina george in particular and despite the return or okay the rerun of tim meadows as the high school's principal and faye herself as a uh, teacher advisor from the first movie uh, rachel mcadams as regina and Lindsay Lohan as Katie were so dazzling first time out that they set a pretty high bar. So this is kind of like a Xerox of a Xerox. Um, Jenna Fisher, Busy Phillips, Sean Hamm, and Ashley Park are on board in varying degrees. So talented, but they don't really have that much to do. And there is a notable callback cameo that I won't reveal. Directors Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr. keep things rolling. And this is doing well at the box office but you know i was like go rent or you know stream the original movie you know don't it's, it's kind of a time waster as far as i'm concerned anyway mean girls the movie uh the musical um okay one of my favorite skits on the old sctv sketch comedy show was farm film report with Joe Flaherty and John Candy as Big Jim McBob and Billy Saul Hurok, uh, a couple of rubes who review movies and are especially fond of ones that feature stuff blowing up real good, as they put it. And uh, one of their gags involved them exhorting a celebrity guest to blow up while being interviewed. And with that in mind, I want to turn to the next movie we're going to cover today. If you ever enjoyed the lean, limber, and generally dour British bruiser Jason Statham unleashed on screen in Take No Prisoners, just mow them down fashion, I've got good news for you, mate. The Beekeeper is here, and it comes in the middle of a, a spate of releases that all feature lead characters who left a brutal, danger-fraught job behind and have taken up a humble, uh, uh, low-key profession. But in all cases, our hero or anti-hero is pulled back into action by circumstances. There was the bricklayer, which I will get to shortly, and the painter, which I avoided and I don't care to ever see. Uh, I mean, enough is enough, but that said, the beekeeper is actually a fine popcorn muncher. And, oh boy, like Farm Film Report, you love the explosions because they're plentiful. Um, anyway, uh, this action flick of the week has plenty of fury and lunacy to go around with lots of conspiratorial machinations behind the cyber crime that triggers the beekeepers rampage. And again, you know, Jason Statham is obviously the beekeeper here. Okay. It's uh, overseen by director David Ayer, who made a couple of good movies. Uh, he wrote and directed Fury and End of Watch and wrote Training Day. Uh, and uh, when he can dial back his more hacky, grind out the product tendencies, such as his feeble Suicide Squad movie, uh, he actually can score pretty big for me. Uh, speaking of hacks, the script was by Kurt Wimmer, uh, who has written some weak remakes of classics like Point Break and Total Recall as well as the latest and possibly lamest installment of the Expendables franchise, which actually features Statham leading an army of uh, mid-action heroes. But happily, the Beekeeper keeps its focus on Statham, uh, a constantly ticking, exploding, and resetting time bomb named Adam Clay, 
who sought the quietude of cultivating bees and running a modest honey business um, after years of being a hired gun. I don't know. This is a film that embraces its over-the-top qualities and revels in its formula, making it kind of a win for Wimmer. Although The Beekeeper is a bee movie, you know, get the buzz. Uh, it doesn't deny its nature and its kinetic violence, sudden bursts of hand-to-hand combat, shoot 'em ups blow-em-ups, dour humor uh, that reflects... Statham, the leading man, the body count never reaches John Wick heights. Um, but, you know, it's got a lot of death, a lot of killing. Uh, after first being intrigued by the idea that the uh, reprehensible villains would get what's coming to them, courtesy of the beekeeper, uh, you know, I enjoyed seeing the villains get what was coming to them. Anyway, I turned off my mind and rolled with the action. Um, and incidentally, the supporting case features uh, the slumming Jeremy Irons, uh, Gemma Redgrave, Mini Driver, Felicia Rashad, uh, Rashad, and Josh Hutcherson. Not a slouch among them. I enjoyed The Beekeeper a lot. It's in theaters. And, of course, you'll enjoy it on video at home when it comes to streaming. I am certain of that. Um, in a bold mood move by any standard, black British filmmaker James uh, Samuel wrote and directed The Book of Clarence, his attempt to do a modern-day version of the 1950s and 1960s widescreen biblical epics, complete with a chariot race. I mean, really, early on in the movie, it's there's a chariot race. Um, and speaking of race, the cast is primarily black, but um, bump, uh, and they're speaking a mix of street patter and uh, stentorian biblical style oration while dressed in appropriate early Anno Domini garb um, and cavorting around a desert location done up as Jerusalem. As such, the movie has some fun with the myth of the fair-haired, blue-eyed Jesus. In fact, the Clarence of the title, played by the always charismatic Lakeith Stanfield, is a non-believer, unlike his twin brother Thomas, who was a member of the Apostles. And, of course, uh, Stanfield plays both of these guys. Uh, Saddled with debt and threatened by a local moneylender, Clarence sees the love showered on Jesus and decides he's going to proclaim himself the new Messiah. Anyway, wacky situations ensue in this parallel story to the so-called greatest story ever told. Samuel is simultaneously trying to honor the classic old Bible movies and the Prince of Peace while rigging laughs out of the situation, aided and abetted by a cast that includes established stars. Stan Field, David Ayelowo uh, as John the Baptist, Omar Sy looping himself as a well-muscled Barabbas, Alfre Woodard as Mary, mother of Jesus, and Marianne Jean-Baptiste uh, as Clarence's mom, as well as rising stars like Anna Diop from Titans, Tiana Taylor, and more. Ah, wait, there are also a couple of white guys on board, James McAvoy and Benedict Cumberbatch, who are not too shabby in a thespian game. Uh, some of the gags fall flat, and Samuel's uh, anachronistic elements don't always make sense. But more often than not, the homage paid to the venerable biblical flicks has wit and power. And little touches like the title cards that seem straight out of Ben-Hur are pretty cool. I give the Book of Clarence an A for ambition, a B for bravura, and a C for coherence. Uh, on occasion, I was delighted. You know, get it? Get it? Anyway, uh, altogether, the Book of Clarence. Uh, receives a passing grade from me. It's in theaters. And again, yes, it will play well at home. So, you know, you don't want to rush out to the uh, cinema. Uh, these films are going to be uh, streaming pretty soon.
Okay, we've had horror movies about an evil-possessed car, Christine, and an evil-possessed dog, Cujo, both courtesy of author Stephen King's novels. And we've had horror movies about evil-possessed dolls, the Annabelle films, and evil-possessed ventriloquist dummies, Magic and Dead Silence. And now with Night Swim, we finally have a horror movie about an evil-possessed swimming pool. Uh, one that will drag you down into its depths if it doesn't like you splashing around in it. So I'm pretty sure that anyone pissing in the pool would piss it off. So hey, don't do that. Anyway, they might have well uh, might as well have titled this movie "The uh, Backyard Swimming Pool of Doom" or I don't know, "Breaststroke to Hell." Uh, I mean, what's next? You know, uh, "Blades of Death" about an evil electric lawnmower or. Tool shit of no return. Anyway, uh, the movie is all about uh, a um, former Milwaukee Bl uh, Brewers player named Ray Waller, played by uh, Wyatt Russell from Monarch Legacy of Monsters and Falcon of the Win and the Winter Soldier. Uh, and Ray and his family move into a suburban fixer-upper with an out-of-use swimming pool that needs a good cleaning insofar as it's all clogged with leaves and other crud. Uh, Ray had to retire from baseball due to a degenerative disease, but after cleaning the pool and filling it, he and his wife, Kerry Condon, uh, of the Banshees of Inishirin, uh, his high school-age daughter and junior high-age son starts swimming, and the waters of the pool seem to energize Ray and put him into remission, but the pool doesn't seem as friendly to the rest of the family. Uh, there's a Faustian situation here as well as some backstory mumbo-jumbo, but the movie is uh, soggy. It's soggy, uh, and silly would be an appropriate term here. I did laugh a couple times as I watched, although I rolled my eyes more frequently. Night Swim was written and directed by Bryce McGuire and based on a short film he made with a creative partner. It was also produced by the scamps who brought us Megan, a much funnier and more fun horror movie, and The Nun, scarier. Uh, I didn't need artificial respiration when Night Swim was over, but I'm afraid it did uh, kill some of my brain cells. It's in theaters and uh, shortly going to show up on streaming. You just know it's going to be on Peacock or, or Hulu sooner or later. Um, let's uh, kind of wrap things up um, with uh, the bricklayer. Uh, Rennie Harlan, I mentioned it earlier, you know, like Rennie Harlan has directed decent action flicks like Die Hard 2 and Cliffhanger and clunkers like Cutthroat Island uh, and The Bricklayer, uh, which is in the early January new movie uh, Dead Zone, is one of the clunkers. Uh, it's the latest film, uh, I guess, to feature Aaron Eckert. I haven't seen him in a while. And like The Beekeeper, it gives its main character a pedestrian job. Uh, in, delineated in the title and the guy is of course much more than he seems uh, you know a death dealing near indestructible hero forced to fight against overwhelming odds using a certain set of skills you know it, Liam Neeson uh, stars in some of these movies but anyway uh, this features uh, some uh, uh, you know the titular character out of the business for some reason retired burned out disgusted and circumstances Pull him back in. Uh, okay. The bricklayer catches up with ex-CIA fixer Steve Vale, played by Eckert, as he's happily building a brick wall on the roof of a Philadelphia building while listening to Miles Davis on his earbuds. Quirky, huh? Uh, then, you know, you know he won't be laying bricks after he finds out that an ex-colleague, played by Clifton Collins Jr., has gone rogue in Greece 
killing journalists and making it seem like the CIA is responsible. Uh, a high-level CIA administrator played by Tim Blake Nelson pressures Steve to take down the loose cannon, teams him with a female agent with no experience in the field. They set off for Greece to fix the situation and clear the agency of wrongdoing. That's right. They have to clear the CIA of wrongdoing. Good luck. Good luck on that one. Anyway, the main actors... All pros, including Nina Dobrev as the female agent, go through their paces. Uh, Got to cash that paycheck. And most of the action sequences are pretty snappy. But we've seen so many of these plot elements before. And every character is so thinly drawn and uh, cliche that there's not any emotional punch to any of it. Uh, the brick layer? More like the egg layer. Not terrible, but that's the best thing I can say about it. It's already streaming, so uh, that's the situation with the bricklayer. Of uh, these type of films, The Beekeeper, much better. Um, let me ask you a question, pal. What are you watching these days? Well, uh, let's see here. I have to think now a, a, a couple of things. Uh, we watched. Uh, have you, uh, we watched uh, the whole series of uh, Ted on Peacock. Right. Uh, and uh, except for two episodes, which I thought were pretty lame. Uh, it's very funny. You know, it's a funny, funny show. The only problem I, is they have the, the two parents in this show, and they're kind of hard to take. They have no no uh, punch. But when it's Ted and and his uh, his friend, the kid that he you know that he uh, wishes him to come alive, um, right. it's great. It's fun. It's it's uh, in bad taste. Just what we want, you know. I totally agree. I totally agree. It's a prequel to the Ted movies, and it's about the uh, early relationship between Seth MacFarlane's foul-mouthed, drug-abusing, Boston-area teddy bear that came to life and the boy who wished him into existence, uh, and Max Burkholder, who plays the teenage version of the Mark Wahlberg character John Bennett from the films, is really quite good. And I think Scott Grimes and Alana Eubach as John's uh, loudish dad and frazzled mom, they're pretty deep. I think, that, I mean, though, I think that that was, a, that was a bad uh, choice on McFarlane's part to make them that kind of ditzy and stupid and so on. I think well, that yeah. it, they would have been better played by being slightly more realistic. You know, know, look, this is occasionally lowbrow, like McFarlane's animated sitcom stuff. And you can can even hear echoes of uh, his uh, Peter Griffin, the family guy. Oh, oh, uh, the voice is the same. I mean, in in the original movie, there's a line where uh, Ted says, do you think I sound too much like uh, Peter Griffin? You know, (laughs) uh, so, I mean, yeah, he he is doing the same voice and the structure of the show is kind of the same as Family Guy. Even the establishing shots of the house are similar to Family Guy. Right, and they have that kind of sitcom music. Look, I actually laughed out loud a few times each episode. Very funny show. I mean, and I should point out, wait, 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 uh, one of our friends, well, my longtime pal and a guy who contributed to your show uh, off and on uh, back in the day, the wonderfully incisive comedian, writer and actor Dana Gould is a creative consultant for the show, wrote one very funny episode. The one He of, wrote uh, maybe the funniest the, episode. Yeah. The, the restaurant one and also appears in it. So, you know, I also give. Uh, good marks to Ted. Uh, nice call. Uh, yeah. Ben. And the other thing was we 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 weren't watching. Um, speaking of Ted, the bear. 
know, oh, it's, man. it's like bear time here. Uh, yeah. And um, we watched the first episode and we just kind of went, eh, you know, where's this going? And we didn't go back to it. Well, finally, Marjorie resisted it. And finally, I convinced her to watch another episode with me. And finally, now we're in the second season halfway through and enjoying it thoroughly. You, have you watched the Thanksgiving episode yet? Uh, is, what season is that? Season two? Second season. Yeah, I haven't, we haven't, no, we haven't done the Thanksgiving. Uh, let me just say, um, you know, I'm glad you got on board. It truly is one of the best things on TV for the past decade. I I, I love the, uh, the show, and it deserves every uh, award and accolade, even though, as you well know, I think... Emmys and Oscars yeah, yeah, and yeah, Tony's well, and yeah, well, Let's and not even get into that, okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, have you watched um, Criminal? Well, you watched Slow Horses, am I right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, love it. It's not going to be on the uh, available the latest season for a number of months. So, Apple TV, the Slow Horses uh, platform, has uh, dropped something called Criminal Record. Yeah, we're, wa- uh, we're, and, we're watching that. Yeah. I'm on board with a new UK police procedural set in London with the great Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who and the thick of it uh, as a veteran detective with a few secrets that may very well be exposed by Cush Jumbo from The Good Wife and Stay Close. And and she's actually doing Macbeth uh, on uh, the um, at the National Theatre in London right now. Well, we need not go into her whole IMDb. No, 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 no. There's a reason I'm saying this. She's playing Lady Macbeth opposite David Tennant as Macbeth, another former star of Doctor Who. She seems to be gravitating to these guys. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed this. She plays a crusading detective on the force, and I'm looking forward to the next one. And may I also recommend Monsieur Spade on AMC uh, with Clive Owen as the 60-something Sam Spade, having moved from San Francisco to uh, to the south of France. Uh, I am already caught up in it. Beautiful performance of, as Clive Owen, kind of taking the Humphrey Bogart character from the Maltese Falcon and kind of aging him and growing with him. Uh, anyway, what's uh, it called? What's it called again? Monsieur Spade, like uh, you know, as yeah. in Mister Spade, only in French. Yeah. And Clive Owen, you know, uh, it's very, very promising. Yeah. Uh, anything and, and else? Anything like, else? Then I then we watched half of Napoleon. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, what a missed opportunity, you know. I, I mean, know. It, we I still go back, and the best, uh, the best Napoleon picture was the one done in nineteen twenty-seven, I think it was. Right. Uh, yeah, and a silent film, and just the best, one of the best movies ever made. And this Napoleon's always been the object, almost of uh, of an obsession by some filmmakers. And the last one that I remember was Stanley Kubrick. His one thing that he wanted to do was a film about Napoleon and never got around to doing it. Uh, This is just a terrible picture. And I've never been a big fan of Ridley Scott anyway. But you know his the way he orchestrates the battle sequences are great. The rest of the movie, I, I just think it, it, you get no real reason for Napoleon. You, you're only halfway through it, and I'll, I, I'll tell you, spoiler alert: you never get any reason why he's the way he is, except what uh, Josephine manipulates him so he wants to take over the world. I, I, there's no childhood trauma. There's nothing that gives you an idea of of his motivations. And if you're going to do a movie called Napoleon, yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, one more quick question for you. Did you watch Echo yet on Disney Plus? I've watched about the first uh, three episodes. I have to get back to it. Yeah. Yeah, man. All I'm, I'll say about that is uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, uh, his now signature character, Wilson Fisk, uh, is still a very powerful thing to see on screen. Um, I really love the performance of him as the. Man I like the fun. whole. I like the whole attitude of the show, though, too, about the about the you know Native Americans and so on. And it, it yeah, it, well, well interwoven in the story of Maya uh, Lopez, who you may have already seen if you watched Hawkeye uh, on Disney Plus for Marvel. Anyway, that that's it, man. Uh, great uh, catching up, and I hope we. Uh, can do it again in another couple of weeks. Um, yeah. I am available on Twitter and X at Culture Blaster if you want to check out my social media stuff. And you can listen to Alex and myself uh, on Facebook as well at the Michael Snyder's Culture Blast page. And most importantly, here on GabNet. And uh, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, and there's more GabNet coming right up. <laughs>